In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Bible. And uh, this book means so much to me. I must admit, and I'm sure some of you heard before, I started reading it when I was around 14 because I had a hard time going to sleep at night. And I discovered that if I would find something really boring to read, that I just go right to sleep. And so that's why I started reading the Bible. But then as I read through it, I discovered that uh, it was full of some really interesting stories. And uh, as it went on, it became kind of like a soap opera because the same characters kept popping up over and over again. I must say that later that uh, I, I, I read it for the wrong reason. I read it for the stories and I read it for uh, just uh, the wrong reason. But uh, the God's word never returns to him void. And later on, whenever I was uh, at a point to where because of bad teaching and other things like that, I was just about ready to just say there is no God. I couldn't put aside the sense of reality that I had from his word. And uh, that coupled with uh, some other things. Uh, really brought me to know him. His word does not come back to him void. And uh, this book, as I told you a couple of weeks ago, had 40 writers, but only one author. It was written over a thousand years or more, but all the different writers were instructed and directed by God as to what we have here in this Bible. It's a spiritual book written by the greatest of all spiritual beings for spiritual beings. And the unsaved cannot understand this book because they don't have spiritual eyes to see nor spiritual ears to hear. Only those who are alive spiritually can grasp what this book has for them. Sadly, as a result of the Enlightenment, there are many people today who think that the Bible is no more inspired than a great novel like Gone with the Wind. And they think that it should be read and interpreted in the same way as any other great work of literature, such as Shakespeare, and that we should interpret the Bible according to our own personal world view. And this approach is called the historical critical method, and it has destroyed uh, the faith of many. But that's not what the doctrine of biblical interpretation is all about. The doctrine of biblical interpretation actually says just the opposite of the historical critical method. It says the Bible is of no personal or private interpretation. Let me put it this way. You don't interpret the Bible. The Bible interprets you. And every time I read it, there's some way that God speaks to my heart and I find places where I'm getting patted on the back because, whoa, I was doing the right thing and didn't even know it. 
And then I'm also brought to task because I've discovered that I still have a long, long way to go. The Bible interprets you and then it guides you along the path that the Lord would have you on. It's God's word and God's word was around long before the enlightenment ever came on the scene. Just because something is scientifically impossible doesn't mean it's true. Did you know that? Or doesn't mean it's not true. Uh, following uh, the uh, scientific method or, uh, or the historical critical method, uh, the way they approach it is uh, if you find that something is scientifically impossible in the Bible, then it just didn't happen. Uh, it's just a story and it means something else. And you've got to find another allegory or something to make something up to tell you people on Sunday morning or or whatever. But uh, I must say, I do believe that it's scientifically impossible for a man to live inside a fish for three days. I also believe it's scientifically impossible for an ocean to part and for people to walk over on dry ground. I also believe it's scientifically impossible for a virgin to have a child. It's scientifically impossible for a man to walk on water. It's scientifically impossible for a man to be raised from the dead. But the fact that those things are all scientifically impossible, and they are, it doesn't prove that the Bible is not true. It just proves that God is God. It proves that we have a supernatural miracle working God. That's what it proves. Now, there are many things in here that are scientifically impossible. And if your God is subject to science, I just have to feel sorry for you. Because you see, all scientists really are trying to do is to understand what God has done. This is God's word. Do you remember Satan's first attack? What he did was he approached Eve and he said, did God not say? And that was the beginning. He cast doubt on the word of God. And so uh, this is just it. With, well, this is what Satan came up with. And he's discovered he doesn't have to talk about issues. He doesn't have to argue issues. All he has to do is just cast doubt on this book. And that's what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he has no new tricks. I've discovered that Satan has, he's not creative. He just uh, runs around in circles and does the same thing over and over and over again. And those who are duped by him are doomed to run around in self-destructive circles until they find the Lord and he begins to lead them in a straight line. This is uh, one of the places where I learned in my studies for counseling, psychology is the study of the human mind. 
And psychology can help you understand the causes and effect of why you do something. And yeah, you're holding bitterness in your heart because of this or that. But you know, all it does is gives you an excuse. It doesn't give you deliverance. And this is the wonderful thing that God and his word bring to us. They take us out of these self-destructive circles and put us on a straight line. Uh, anyway, I'll just drop that at that. We want to talk about the Bible and the Bible is bread. It's food for our spirits. In Exodus 16, 4, we begin to see this. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Notice bread from heaven. It's very important because Jesus quotes this in the scripture that we read, that read this morning. Bread from heaven for you. And uh, the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day. He says, I'm going to give you bread every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And then in the New Testament in Matthew 6, 11, when the disciples said, teach us to pray. One of the things he told us to pray for was this, give us this day our daily bread. And uh, yes, that is talking about physical provision. But since the Bible is also bread, and I'll show you more about this in a minute, what's very clear is that the words of God are spiritual bread. Uh, it's that God wants you to draw nourishment from him physically and spiritually. Now, I don't want to embarrass you by getting anybody to raise hands or anything like that this morning because we all mess up when it comes to reading the Bible. Uh, we all miss at least a few days from time to time. But I would encourage you to read the Bible every day. And I must say, I wound up preaching to myself as I was pulling this together because like y'all, I can get distracted. And recently, I've discovered these novels that you can these books that you can buy online and uh, some of there's one of them in particular that's just so exciting and after i got to about the uh three sat three thousandth chapter all of a sudden they started just doling the chapters out two at a time and i don't know if y'all remember the old uh some of y'all are too young to remember when all the kids would go to the movie on Saturday. And on Saturday, the kid, the, the kid, they'd have two, they'd have double features and a great cartoon in between. And that's where we kids got our news from. We didn't have TV, but they'd have news on and we'd see all sorts of things. But there was always also a serial, S-E-R-I-A-L. One of them was, uh, uh, let's see, well, let's see. I'm trying to think of a good one. That the, Rocket Man. That was cool. Rocket Man, where this guy had a rocket he'd strap on his back and he could fly places. And uh, every, sometimes they just call these things cliffhangers because at the end of each one, it would look like the hero had just gotten blown up or he was hanging on the edge of something 
and one hand had freed and you could see the fingers slipping and that was it for the week. And so you'd have to come back next week to see what happened. Well, this novel that I'm in, every couple of chapters, it leaves you hanging. So I found myself every morning and I'm confessing, instead of grabbing my Bible first, I grab my tablet and I read those two chapters real quick. And then I have to wait till the next week or next day. But I should be grabbing this first. And so I preached to myself this week as I was pulling this together because I have gotten away from this. Now, I, I have to also watch what I, ha- what I eat for health reasons. And I've discovered that I can't just not eat or eat too little or I start to feel yucky and tired and weak. And if I eat the wrong things, I get a bad result. I have to have a certain amount of nourishment and uh, our souls, our spirits are the same way. We need to nourish them and care for them and feed them the right stuff. And uh, I must say that just uh, listening to somebody on the radio or something isn't enough. You need to read the Bible for yourself because there are lots of false teachers out there. And even the best teachers sometimes don't get it right. And that's why I encourage you to always measure and gauge what I say by the Bible. Because if it doesn't line up, you need to just throw out what I said or talk to me about it and uh, help me get on the right track. So uh, here's something, a good thing about daily bread. In Psalm 68, 19, it says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. And that's what reading the Bible will do for you, studying it every day. It loads you with benefits. So I'm just going to take a little detour here and talk to you. Some of y'all have asked me about this. I'm going to cover it right now. What sort of Bible should you read? There are, you may not be aware of this, there are three categories of Bibles. And uh, within there are only two categories of translations. The third category is paraphrasing. Like the Living Bible is a paraphrase. It's not an exact translation. Actually, the author of uh, the Living Bible wrote it so that his kids could understand it. They were using the uh, King James Version and then another version later on for their Bible study every night. And his kids, they asked questions at the end. His kids didn't have a clue because they couldn't understand King James English. And so he would have to go back through and paraphrase it. And then they could answer the question. So he just said, well, let's just get this done in the first place. So he began paraphrasing a chapter every day so that uh, whenever they did their Bible study, his kids could understand. And then they started getting the questions. So uh, uh, a paraphrase means that you, well, he took the uh, the English version, he actually used the American Standard Translation, 
and then he put it in his own words. Now, the bad thing about that is it gets very, very subjective when you start doing that. You're getting away from God's word. Uh, So uh, it's kind of a thought by thought, but not quite. So translations go back to the original Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. And uh, they are translated. But then again, like I said, there are two different types of translations. There's the exact equivalently, getting my tang tongued here, uh, the uh, exact equivalency uh, translation translates word by word. A dynamic equivalency translates the phrase or the thought, which to me is starting to get back to paraphrasing again. Uh, I try to get just as close to what the Lord had for us to hear instead of putting my own gloss on it. And I discovered, uh, well, if you're going to study the Bible, you should want, and after you get familiar with it, uh, an exact equivalency translation. Now, the New American Standard is uh, what I use because when I was, I'm a language major, and so this in undergraduate school, and so uh, words mean a lot to me and how you translate them. I know there are shades of meaning and all, that it's a real challenge to translate things directly from one language into another. There are idiomatic expressions and things that you need to know. But the thing is, in, when I was in the New, in, in New Testament uh, Greek, when I was taking that, and I would translate something from the original Greek uh, texts, it would line up verbatim with the New American Standard. It's the most accurate verbatim translation I have found. Now, uh, there's, there, but there are others that do the same thing that are exact equivalency, word-by-word translations. And uh, there's, uh, let's see, let me get these here. I want to give you a list of them here. Okay, the New American Standard, of course, and then the New King James Bible. And I'm leaning toward it now uh, because even whenever you get down to that, there, the New King James Bible Bible goes back to the the texts, the same texts that were used, what's called Textus Receptus, the approved texts, the, the original text that the King James Bible was uh, translated from. And so the New King James is a direct equivalent from the, the original uh, texts. The, uh, there are some others, like New American Standard, they threw some other texts in there that throws the meaning off just a little bit. And so New King James Version is easy to read and it's a direct uh, equivalence, an exact equivalency, word by word translation. So New King James, um, let's see here, what's the other? Oh, the English Standard Version is another. Those are exact equivalencies. Then dynamic translations, which uh, do it... Uh, uh, thought by thought, 
uh, or like the uh, the New Living Translation, uh, the NIV, and the Message. And the Message just gets so far away. I mean, I, I you know, so it's like paraphrasing. It's like where it says, "I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord.'" He'll say something like. Dude, it's so cool. Let's go to church. And see, that's not an exact, that's, that's not even, that's, they're, they're kind of taking the thought, but it's just too far away as far as I'm concerned. So now then you have my little spiel about, about Bibles. So just kind of the dynamic translation, the, the translates thought, the thought of the verse supposedly. But like I say, that's so subjective uh, that it's just wrong as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so there's a difference between these two categories. Uh, if you haven't studied the Bible before, I would encourage you to get the big picture by just starting out with all these Bible stories for children's books. They cover like a book of the Bible at a time. And I've, we started doing this with our kids whenever they were little. We started going through the Bible stories for children. And I'd never noticed these Bible stories for children's books. They start in Genesis and they go all the way through Revelation. And they have questions at the end of each chapter. And it's, I learned that these weren't, that the Bible said it wasn't just a bunch of stories connected together. And you see, in Sunday school, when I was a kid, we'd get the story of Jesus walks on water. Then we'd get the story of, of Adam and Eve in the garden. And they were all just Bible stories. But we never got the continuity. And if you'll go through it like this, put the stories in order, you get the big picture of what the Bible is all about and what God's trying to accomplish in our world. Then after you get that down, then you can go back to a real serious Bible study. But get the whole overarching period, uh, uh, the, the whole overarching thing down first. So, yeah, I'd never link those. And uh, there is this continuum from the Garden of Eden to the new heaven and the new earth. So that's that's number one point. Number two point is uh, the Bible is not just bread. It is our sustaining bread, not just our daily bread. God wants to give you guidance from his word every day. By the way, Many of you, if you study your Bible, you probably had this happen. It happens to me nearly every time. One time, uh, you may be just riding along the car and all of a sudden a preacher will come on and you'll start preaching about the very thing that you were reading and studying. Or maybe uh, it'll be somewhere else in the Bible, but it's covering the same point that the Lord got across to you. And uh, he will be confirming his word to you through these different things. But sometimes you read something in the Bible and later in the day, something happens and you just think, I was just reading about that this morning. And you'll be equipped for handling it because you had studied the Bible. So Jesus showed us how this works uh, in the New Testament, beginning with Matthew 4, 3 and 4. 
It says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now remember, Jesus has been fasted for 40 days, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need God's word every day. It sustains us. It keeps us on the right track. And by the way, if scripture is just another literary work uh, like Shakespeare, then why did Jesus uh, use it to overcome temptation? Because three times when he was tempted, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And you can quote Shakespeare all you want, but it won't rebuke Satan. He can't, he won't argue with you about that. But uh, God's word does. So it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And this is showing that the Bible is our bread. It's our spiritual nourishment. And you also see that even when you're starving, it's more important to do what God tells you to do than it is to do what you want to do. No matter how much Satan tempts you in that way. And so he's quoting, and then in uh, Deuteronomy 8, 3, it says, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna, and that's daily manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. God is your provider. He wants to make that clear. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So anyway, we need food to sustain our natural bodies. You need spiritual food to sustain your spiritual body. And let me say this another way. A whole bunch of Christians are dying today of spiritual malnutrition because they're not eating. They're not consuming they're not taking in. They're not partaking of the word of God. This is bread for our spirits. It's nourishment for us, for our lives as a whole. Now, Isaiah 55, 2 says, Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? In other words, why do you spend your time not, speeding, uh, not feeding your spirit? And your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And that's referring to the Bible. Spiritual bread, God's will for your life and let your soul delight in abundance. In other words, it will feed your soul. Job says, I've treasured the words of his mouth. And that would be the Bible more than my necessary food. In Joshua, we read, 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then, then if you meditate on the word day and night, listen to what happens if you do that. Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So what this is saying is you'll prosper and you'll be successful and not just financially, but also in marriage, family, kids, health, in every area of your life, if you'll read and take in God's word. According to that verse, what the most important thing is that you could do every day is not read the Wall Street Journal, and that may be a part of your business. But the most important thing that you could do if you want to prosper is to read the Bible every day. It's our true bread. That's the third point. It's not only our daily bread. It's not just our sustaining bread. It's our true bread. Remember, we started with manna and it said bread from heaven. Now watch what Jesus says in John 6, 31. This is what the Pharisees said to Jesus first. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. And notice they didn't say, He didn't give you bread from heaven. He said he didn't give you the bread. He did give you bread, but not the bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God, the bread of God. He, for the true bread of, for the bread of God, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The true bread of God is Jesus himself. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread also. And Jesus said, and this is so important, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He can satisfy your soul. And then in verse 30, verse 48 of John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and now they are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it, and not die and live forever. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread I shall give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. In John 1, 1, as John begins his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word, And the word was with God 
and the word was God. And verse 14 says, and the word became flesh. And so it's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word of God and dwelt, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten. You remember John three sixteen? He's the only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth. In John nineteen eleven, uh, we read, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. Now this is John, this is Revelation nineteen eleven, And behold a white horse. He who sat upon it was called faithful and true. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. We know this is Jesus. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called, guess what? The Word of God. All right. So why am I telling you all this? When you read this book, you're taking in spiritual life. Now, we know that Jesus told the scribes and the Pharisees, you search the scriptures and in them you think you have life. But they are all about me. And so you see, whenever he says that he is the bread of life, he's saying he is the word. God's statement to man, his word became flesh. And for a while, his word, Jesus Christ, walked among us. And now then he has ascended back into heaven. He's going to return. And in the meantime, we draw our strength from his word. And it points to him. And whenever we read it, we don't just read it to look for loopholes. We read it to understand God and his son. Got one more scripture, John six sixty three. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The more you read this book, you see, the closer to Jesus you're going to get. Think about this. Here, right here, we have the secret to miracles. We have God's autobiography, not biography. We have the book that he wrote about himself. We have an encyclopedia on God from him and about him. We have words of eternal life. We have the answer to every problem. And I promise you, if you read this book, it will change your life. God's word is literally bread. In other words, it is spiritual nourishment and we need it every day. We need God's sustaining bread. We need to be able to take God's word into our spirits and into our souls 
and let it nourish us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.